That's a growler. Welcome back to Beauty and the Beastly Minute, the podcast where we break down and analyze Beauty and the Beast, one confusing date at a time. I'm Bobby from Growler Media. And I'm Janae from JanaeHyatt.com. And today, once again, we have Lauren Reed with us. She is our vocal musical expert on the show so far, and we're (laughs) excited to have you back. Thank you. This is fun. Good. We're glad you're enjoying yourself, which we didn't get to talk about this last time, but I was thinking maybe we could start off with asking, do you remember the first time you saw Beauty and the Beast? I think I was two. Really? Do you remember it? I don't remember a lot of things from when I was two. When I was little, (laughs) I used to, (laughs) I used to set up my own show. Essentially, I would have props out and watching a movie was not just watching a movie for me. I lived the movie. <laughs> I would have all my props. I would dress up. I would have my shoes. I would really what it came down what it came down to for me was Belle's books. I mm. loved Belle so much because she read. And I started reading when I was three, four. Uh, I wow. think. I had finished learning how to read by the time I was four. I used to sleep with books in my bed. So when I saw that (laughs) library, my mouth was just like, I I mean, I was so excited. And I sang all the time. So this was just the perfect movie. I watched it over and over again. I think the only one that I might have watched more was Aladdin. And once again, Alan Menken, you know, can't go wrong with his music. So I love it. That's so cute. I really wanted that library. I think I even I know, told my didn't? mom. I know, exactly. I, re- I told my mom I wanted that library with that ladder. And I still <laughs> want it. <laughs> <laughs> with the, the, the bookstore library or the like enormous library? No, the enormous one, for sure. Okay, because the ladder I, in that one is really scary tall. <laughs> it is scary tall. And I think I nearly have enough books at this point in my life to fill that a, a library that size. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is a lot of books. <sighs> I'm slightly exaggerating, but only slightly. Uh, hyperbole. <laughs> it's a thing. Well, shall we get started talking about Minute 53? Yes, Minute 53 is where we are talking about today, which starts off with Beast singing, I thought I saw, and ends with Belle and Beast cozying up to the fire with a book while the servants creepily watch them and (laughs) sing about them in the background. (laughs) I love the servants. I mean, they are just cute. They remind me of my mom and her friends. I feel like that's what they do. (laughs) They sit around and talk about people while they watch them? No, I feel like they sit around and talk about me. Like, let's be be specific. I think that, (laughs) you know, they're not just talking about people. They're talking about the people that are, like, I feel like Mrs. Potts is the Beast's mother. (laughs) She is definitely Mm -hmm. the mother figure in this movie. Yes, exactly. So... The way she talks about him, it's never in a gossipy, um, mean-spirited way. Right. that's what they're doing. They're chatting about what's going on, and I think it's just endearing, I think is the word. (laughs) 
Well, if we go back, we get the beast singing at the beginning of the minute. And I just love, I love his lyrics. I just love the lyrics of this whole song. But I love his inner monologue. He's just going back and forth between hoping and based on what he's observing her do and then Mm -hmm. like going back and saying oh wait no 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 don't get your hopes up nothing has ever happened before nothing's ever gonna happen in the future but then he can't help himself by going back and saying but then she's never looked at me that way before and which means that she's looked at him a lot of times And Mm -hmm. based on that previous experience, he's noticing she's looking at him differently than before. So he can't help but hope. And we all do that. We all, I mean, I don't, I'm assuming we all do that where we, (laughs) we start to get excited and hopeful about something. And then we berate ourselves and like talk ourselves down Mm -hmm. and we try to rein our excitement and our hope in because maybe we don't want to be disappointed when it doesn't turn out the way we want or we're protecting our hearts or we have such a bad track record that you feel like that cycle is never going to end. Whatever the reason is, I think that we all do this, which makes the beast so relatable to mm-hmm. everyone, I think. So I love love that. Yeah, my, my first note in here is where he says, no, it can't be, I'll just ignore. And it's like, man, dating can be so confusing. <laughs> like, this is basically the inner monologue that somebody has on, on your first date, at least from a guy's perspective. And, you know, you don't really know what's going on. It's kind of awkward. You're unsure of the situation, how the other person feels. Your hands brush and you're like, whoa, was that something or what, or was that nothing? And, you know, you just don't know what to do. And it's, it's uh, oh, no. awkward. I feel yeah, like that happens even after the first date sometimes. <laughs> true, true. Uh, I like that you mentioned hope, Janae, because I think that that's something that's interesting because, you know, when he says that line, I'll just ignore her. He makes that gruff looking face. You kind of see a flashback to the old beast, very animalistic and mean. And angry, you know? And angry, yeah. And yeah. isn't that, oh, yeah. isn't that what, what this is all about? Like that absence of hope. I think a lot of people today walk around with an absence of hope and are constantly what we, I mean, think about how negative it is to live without hope. And so I think it's important to realize that without that, we can become bitter or angry. And you can see that right here. So that self-doubt, man, I think that's the poison of society. But I think it's interesting that he's able to use that to... And really, Belle's able to help him. And it only takes that one person to really be special and propel you forward and renew your sense of self-worth, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And no one else could do it. He has all these servants that have kept him company for years and years. But it's only Belle. Who can do that for him? Which is is also interesting. (laughs) Jinx. Yeah, it is very interesting because (laughs) I I think it's amazing that here we have Miss Potts, who's, she's amazing. She's such a great, loving character, 
All the servants seem to really care about their master, and yet their reasoning and their discussion with him on his behavior or staying hopeful is not what catches his attention. Mm-hmm. It's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's a girl. Such a guy. <laughs> I think, I wonder if it's partially because she's a girl, but also partially because she is someone who he has never had contact with before. All the other people, he's heard the same thing from them over and over and over for the past 10 years. And I think it's the same thing kind of like as you're growing up when maybe you hear your parents tell you something at home and you disregard it or don't believe them but then you like go to school and you hear a teacher say it or a friend say the exact same thing that you heard your parents say it's completely different (laughs) and you just accept it and you're like oh yeah that makes sense and then you go home and tell your parents guess what xyz and they're like i've been telling you that for the past 20 years Like, no, exactly. I think it might be a combination of those two things, you know? Have you guys seen, what is it, that movie with Drew Barrymore, the Cinderella one? I think it's called... Ever After? Ever After? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So, I love that line, you've been born to privilege... And with that comes comes specific obligations, specific obligations. And then doesn't she say the same thing? I think this this is exactly like Beauty and the Beast. She's not (laughs) telling him anything new. Right. (laughs) But yet it seems so fresh and it causes this um, illuminating effect. Like his eyes have been opened. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Carrie gets so frustrated with me for doing that thing. That may have happened a few times. (laughs) It's like, I've been telling you that forever, and you never listen until somebody else tells you it. (laughs) I think that we all have that person in our life. (laughs) Well, the next thing that I noticed in this minute is how... She's standing by the tree, right? And he's yes. looking he's looking over at her and she sees him watching her. So she mm-hmm. notices him watching her. And she does this little like it's like she's about to move, but then she like does this double take thing looking back at him before she goes and hides behind the tree. And like it's like she feels him noticing her. She notices him noticing her. Which, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you guys have experienced that, but I've totally experienced that. Where you can just sense and feel someone noticing you in a different way than normal. So Yeah, like their eyes are piercing into your soul, almost. <laughs> I guess I hadn't experienced that, but, <laughs> but yes. I mean, I was just thinking, like, <clears throat> noticing, but... Eye contact can be very uncomfortable. Yes, and I do think they had eye contact there. Oh, absolutely. I like that you point that out. I hadn't hadn't looked at that part really closely, but yeah, she's doing her little princess communicating with the bird thing, and then she notices him watching and looks over, and at first she kind of has, like, a, a scared, worried look on her face and starts to go behind the tree, and then she, you know, pauses and does a double take and kind of does this coy smile thing before she goes and hides behind the tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then the coy smile thing turns into absolute kind of anxiety and terror. She says that it's a bit alarming. And I think the alarming part is probably how quickly this is 
how quickly she's actually starting to fall in love. Yeah. I think we talked about that last time, how scary that can be. I also love, can we just briefly talk about Paige O'Hara's line in this? I love, it's slightly out of tune, and I absolutely love it. That first note she comes in, I it's mm-hmm. perfect, perfect. Do you know the, the backstory on this? I do not know the backstory. Please share, Bobby. <laughs> so apparently they were recording the song, and at the time, Howard Ashman, you know, he was... He he was pretty sick already. So he was, I think, confined to his room or to his hospital room um, over in New York. So they kind of had to go back and forth to, to try to communicate with him as they were recording this. And so Paige O'Hara, she, she sang the line in like a very sweet way, like new and a bit alarming. And the note that Ashman sent when he heard that he was really sick at that point, like right. he was in his bed. And all he said, I've got, I've got it written down. He said, tell Paige that on that line, Streisand. And so she kind of did like a Barbara Streisand thing to get the alarming interesting so like after she got that note that's how that's how she performed it and he was like yeah perfect that's that's what he was going for huh that's interesting if you just sing it sweetly it's not going to like you have to translate that you feel alarmed into how your voice sounds exactly Mm -hmm. because your voice is not perfect when you are that's one of the tricky things about voiceover voiceover and acting is that you have to do something and portray something as if you are experiencing it for the first time, even though you've practiced it like 20 bazillion times. And so if you're not getting that tone and that quality of what you're feeling into the way your voice sounds, you're not accomplishing your purpose in a way. Absolutely. You know, my opera director, um, during my undergrad during my undergraduate he used to say there's no difference between singing and acting meaning you have to use your voice and your whole body like you're an actor and that's very apparent you know with the dynamics that she uses the approach that she gives to the consonants and the vowels right there it's just very you're right Janet I love those imperfections I think that too many people are concerned these days with perfection. They're too concerned with everything being just so or, you know, sounding a certain way. I can't tell you how many people I've heard that just essentially are mimicking other singers that they hear. And while that's mm-hmm. great and that there can be a place for that, it's like, you know, copying a painting. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. there's some merit to that skill, but at the same time, it's not original and it's not going to kind of inspire people at all because they've heard it before. Okay. So, I think it's interesting that this this moment is one of possibly the most imperfect moments in the vocal in the vocal score just because of how she's slightly under the pitch when she hits new and i absolutely love that i think it's very charming and i think that that's how people are naturally fast forward to today i haven't watched i have to preface this I haven't watched the entire live-action Beauty and the Beast. I've watched bits and pieces, but I'm sorry. The the way in which they recorded Emma Watson's voice... It was awful. Yes, absolutely atrocious. Like, why, why can't people just let people sound human? I don't care if there's a missed note here and there. You know, I really don't. I don't you care know, if things are flat or out of tune. Like, I really just want to hear a person's voice, and I want it to sound human, not like a robot. You know, um, it's funny that... I love that you said that, because one of my directors that I worked for for like a year out at Brigham's Playhouse, Jamie Young, he taught me and he taught many of us who were directed by him that when it came to singing in musicals, 
sometimes we would try to sing perfectly. You know, you want to sound good and you want to sound perfect and you don't want to miss any notes. And when you are so focused on the singing being perfect, the acting is sacrificed. And he always taught us that if you are willing to put the acting first and allow your singing to not sound pretty, you will sound amazing. Exactly. Because it will be real. So exactly. I love that you said that. Because I was worried you know, from, coming from that musical background that you'd be like, no, the, the music needs to be perfect. No, absolutely not. You know, I think that the most touching performances I've seen have always had something raw about them. And I think this moment is is just that. So I get really frustrated when people try to make things so perfect. However, I, I know, like any artist, that you have to practice your craft. So right. I'm under no circumstance saying, oh, I don't think that you should learn the notes and pitches and like just do whatever you want. I think that you should practice your notes and pitches and, and rhythms <laughs> and have them and have them and work hard on them and get better and better and better at them. I just wish that people could acknowledge that there's no such thing as a perfect performance. So why why let that inhibit the manner in which you deliver a performance? You know, if you're so concerned about making sure things are just so. Because when you habitually learn a craft or develop a skill, you're going to have this... I mean, you're going to just kick into autopilot, right? You're not going to have to think, oh, watch for that note, watch out for that note, watch out for that note, a little higher, yeah. a little higher. You don't have to think about those things because you've practiced those things. Those right. are the technical things you practice before the performance. That's why we have rehearsal in the first place. But then in the performance itself, if you're so worried about all the technical aspects, it's going to be apparent on your face it's going to be heard when you hear the track. Mm -hmm. It's going to be obvious that you're focusing on the technical aspects and not on the emotional aspects. Right. Yeah. So to summarize, Paige O'Hara killed it. Okay, so back to these lyrics. I never really understood for a long time what... So she says, who'd have ever thought that this could be? I feel like that's a little ambiguous. This. This could be what? So like, is she talking about this love could be? This love for somebody that's a beast? This circumstance in my life? This like, is she? Just, am I just overanalyzing this? Is she just talking about loving him? Because I wonder if I think she... It I always be all thought she didn't really realized that she loved him but now that i watched it like in one minute i feel like she knows she's falling in love with him like romantic yeah. love absolutely i mean when i when i say i like this i don't i'm not saying specifically what it is that i like about whatever we're talking about or even specifically that i'm liking you know i guess i should give an example uh so if i'm at a concert and I turn to my like my friend that I'm sitting with and say, I really like this. I could be referring to the hall. I could be referring to the, the entire atmosphere. And this, I think, comprises of everything and anything. So yeah. I don't think you have to limit it to she specifically talking about 
her loving the beast. Even if you look back, though, let's think to the beginning of the film where she is reading the story. And we all know what's going to happen. Like, this is the story, this book that she's in love with is actually going to turn into her story, which is really interesting. I think that that is intriguing because... When she says this, who could have thought, like, who, what, what is the line again? Who'd have ever thought that this could be? Who'd have ever thought this could be? I think what she's referring to is her books. Honestly, Ooh. that's what I always think about. She's referring to that story. Can we also pause and recognize that this melody that she is singing is the exact same one that she's singing when she is reading that book and telling the story to the sheep at the beginning? Yes, exactly. Uh, I love it. (laughs) And we call those those moments that recur over and over again, we call those musical moments motifs, Mm. little motives that appear over and over again. This really started classically. I think you could attach these things to Wagner. And then before, in the previous episode, we kind of talked about a rhythmic motif with the little chung, 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 chung underneath. You hear the quick little patterns that are pretty silly in nature. Those you can attach to Mozart. So it's pretty cool that Alan Menken is able to use all of these classical composing techniques to better highlight the attitude and the feeling and emotion of the film. Mm -hmm. Because what what those two composers did, Mozart and Wagner, in my opinion, they they were two of the greatest opera composers because they were able to attach specific musical moments to the characters themselves. Ooh. Wagner and I've noticed that in this. Yes, exactly. So that's why when Bell solo comes in, all of a sudden, like I said before, you know, you get these woodwinds. And when the beast is singing, the uh, instrumentation is much lower in register. You've got the low strings plunking along. It's just perfect. And then you get this little, I'm not really entirely sure if it's a real harpsichord or if it's just an electronic. um, I don't know how much how much they did with each individual live instrument. But when they start throwing the snowballs at each other, Hmm. you hear this harpsichord right when the servants start clacking or or chatting away. I think the word I was searching for was clucking because it reminds me so much of Music Man when they're doing pickle, 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 pickle. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Uh... Exactly. So I think it's interesting that you picked up on that because that's, I mean, that's exactly right. Uh, That melody melody comes back time and again you hear all these melodies coming back that we've already heard so we're able to attach them to the characters and specific moments themselves go alan Alan (laughs) we're a fan (laughs) yeah i think the whole world is (laughs) i think that is true yes I love that right after she sings that, too, she kind of, like, turns around and decides to take another pee. And, like, right as she's singing that this could be is when she, like, takes the peek. And it's, like, the subtext I just think is so perfect. Like, hmm, I think I'll take another pee. Yep, he's still (laughs) cute. He's still adorable. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, yeah, and then the silliness ensues as they <laughs> take up their arms and uh, collect snowballs. <laughs> I love the moment right before that when he's like covered with the birds and he's just like got this look on his face like he doesn't know what to do and he's holding really, really still until he figures it out. And then for no reason that I can tell, they all just fly off at the same time and he like 
tries and like covers himself from all of the birds flapping everywhere. And he looks up at her with this huge grin on his face, like, hey, look what I just did. And then he gets the snow in the face. It's brilliant. <laughs> aren't, aren't these grins from the beast the most They're magical, so beautiful thing endearing. you've seen? So endearing. You know, even after they have their, you know, he kind of is grinning when they're dancing and they have their magical moment. But afterwards on the balcony, things get serious pretty fast. He's not grinning ear to ear like he is in these two moments. First, the first moment being the time where Belle, you know, encourages him the minute before with the clink of their bowls, you know. Mm -hmm. Their toast. Cheering. Their toast. Their toast for their, what did you decide it was, Bobby? Porridge? Oatmeal? Yeah, porridge. Some kind of porridge. <laughs> yeah. Malto meal. Uh, that sounds <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's so, it's so sweet that you get to see these huge grins because normally his, you know, incisors would be terrifying, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it's really the first time I think he's probably been happy in years. Like, he's discovering what it means to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like a little kid. Oh, I love that. I like, Lauren, that you you picked up on that just in these few minutes on all the different faces that he has and how much emotion he can can portray through those. And I really think in these particular moments, we get kind of a range of that. uh, And we get to see how great the design that Glenn Keane did for the Beast, how, how great it really is, because, you know, he can go from that big smile where he looks like a big cuddly teddy bear cat <laughs> lion thing thing uh, <laughs> into you know when he's upset it's like you know a few seconds and that completely shifts and it's just his eyebrows go down and he, he looks very menacing w- without much effort and it's such a it's such a great character design that they put into this that so he can do both parts so well and so easily it's perfect for children too i mean i can i can still remember being terrified of the the cell scene the prison uh uh-huh. where he's you know throwing bell in there with her father and switching them out like it's just it's so so sad and very scary because the music mm-hmm. kind of gets still and eerie in a different way than it is when Belle is walking up the stairs toward the West Wing. Mm-hmm. So I love that you're able to, as as a kid, you're able to not only enjoy being scared, because being scared can sometimes be an enjoyment. I think that a lot of media today... I think adults kind of get some kind of entertainment out of being terrified, out of their wits. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so maybe it's the uh, adrenaline pumping, but the same thing can happen for the kids, right? You know, with the Beast character, they can get their adrenaline pumping with this big, rather odd-looking creature. And then he's totally humanized, and they can, you know, fall in love with him just like Belle does. Yeah. I love that. And my one of the other things that I thought was very interesting, I can't tell whether this is a coincidence or not, but at the moment where she is singing 
something in him, there's something in him that I simply didn't see. He gets hit in the face with a snowball that he didn't see coming. <laughs> oh, I never even thought of that. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That's perfect. I was like, did they do, did they do that on purpose? I can't tell if they of did that on purpose. No, that is no, that cannot be a coincidence. Yeah, it's hard to do something on accident when you're animating it. It was brilliant. <laughs> exactly. That, that is really smart. And then you know, his I'm, snowball his giant is, snowball. His snowball is like epic. <laughs> yeah. But then it falls on top of his head. On top of him. Yeah. It's way too big. Reminds me uh, of myself when I was little. I was always I my the thing that I used to say was, I can do it. <laughs> so I always used to try to lift things and accomplish tasks that were far beyond what I was ever capable of. So I think it's funny that even though he's giant, he is still <laughs> making snowballs that are way too big for him to even pack down and even throw. <laughs> that is funny. Well, he did end up throwing it. I mean, he threw it up pretty high when it he just, just fell uh, back got on hit in the him. face again. <laughs> yeah, it just fell on top of uh, him. And then he plops down. I think it's so funny. Yeah. He, it's like the weight of the snow that he created causes him to fall down well and that's the thing that must have been a pretty heavy snowballs and i don't know that much about snowballs because i live in texas <laughs> but i'm pretty sure one that big would be pretty hefty and so they couldn't let him actually throw it at bell because if it hit her here <laughs> in the face she'd like have a bruised and bloodied face for the rest of the song <laughs> that actually might be more fun uh, can you imagine what <laughs> he's going through his mind so he gets hit in the face and then he's like oh, i'm gonna get her and he's like this is gonna be the biggest snowball and i'm gonna knock her off her feet and then he's like Ugh! and then it just falls on top of him and that didn't work. <laughs> I just feel like, okay, my description of what was going through his mind was not as eloquent as like, I, or funny as I was thinking in my head, but <laughs> saying, I feel like he had all these high expectations of, oh, I can get her and then he can't. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that line where you're describing it <laughs> and add like 10 seconds of silence after it. No! <laughs> just make it super awkward in the post editing. <laughs> do not do that. Rude. Well, let's, uh. let's talk about how awkward it is that the servants are just staring at them while they're, they're doing always this. Watching. They're Creepers. all watching. I wonder, you know, have you ever felt someone's eyes? I wonder if yes. Belle and Beast were so wrapped up in each other that they didn't notice. But I gathered that a couple times they would have glanced over and seen those, I don't know what you would call them, not peeping Toms, but like, <laughs> look at them. They're just creeping on the windowsill. <laughs> well, the servants um. know all. This is not yeah. a new concept. That was a real thing back in the day. Oh, so, yeah, of course. I mean, it's not too strange in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like, I don't know. I've only seen a couple episodes, but it's like Downton Abbey. Yeah. I feel like there was so much <laughs> drama in that house. So it's like, I watched everything. two episodes and was like, I can't handle this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, if you think about it also, these servants in particular are very invested in the outcome of this relationship. Oh, I mean, of course. It makes sense that they care, which one of the things that I thought when I was watching this minute was I felt like they actually didn't seem as excited or as, what's the word I'm looking for, as 
surprised that this change was happening and they had this budding friendship and romance as they could have been, if that makes sense. I don't know if Mm -hmm. surprised is really the word I would use just because, you know, thinking about Lumiere and and the hope that he shows at the end, like, oh, this could be the girl. This could be her. I think that you can still be surprised even though you have a hope for something. Because up to this point, they haven't had any indications that things would turn out. I mean, she ran out on them. So I think that if it were me, I would still be surprised, even though I hoped and I would be excited, you know, but I I don't think there's anything wrong with the way it was done. I'm just saying they possibly even could have been more surprised and more excited and more ecstatic that, wow, things are turning out better than we expected. Well, they're singing a song about it, Janae. What do you want? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Uh, Apparently, I'm too demanding. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I really like about this is that Belle is is pushing forward the relationship that we've already talked about how awkward Beast is in the moment. And Belle's still not really sure about what she's feeling and unsure about the situation. But she's the one that keeps kind of pushing it forward. Beast is, he's eager and he, he wants to be kind of growing in their relationship but he doesn't know how and so in the last minute and in this minute Belle keeps on kind of putting her foot forward and and making a move and then Beast you know Mm -hmm. uh, uh, follows after her so she shows him how to do his soup or his porridge or whatever and and he goes along with that and she's shows him how to do the birds and he goes off with that and then she hits him in the face with a snowball and starts their little flirty snowball fight and so she's she's the one kind of moving their relationship forward even though, you know, for Beast, he has a much more vested interest in, in that relationship actually happening. Belle doesn't know that she that the relationship needs to happen for the curse to break, but she's the one kind of pushing it forward. So this isn't something that she's being pushed into. And, you know, this isn't her destiny. This is a choice that she's making to, to move this relationship forward. And that moves our story forward. I love that. Yeah, that free will is so important. I think, too, she's placing... She's placing a lot of faith in him. You know, she's mm-hmm. not she's not developing this relationship with any preconceived notion that this will fail. And I think that's really hard because I think a lot of people start uh, relationships out today and they feel like it's already doomed, you know? <laughs> and I think maybe perhaps that's why I mentioned Lumiere earlier. Like, I don't feel like any of the... So, and perhaps that kind of takes away some of the level of surprise, right? Yeah. Because... that's a good point. You know, that's why they maybe aren't um, as shocked because they saw this level of faith and trust develop rather quickly. I mean, even when you look at Belle's relationship, because this isn't just some strange girl that just walks into the castle accidentally. She comes here Mm -hmm. for her father. And to see that relationship, I think that really is super informative for the for the servants and demonstrates Belle's character early on to them, which I think could lead to some perhaps a, a gradual increase in hope or even in faith for this relationship, knowing that and that they're gonna they're gonna do everything they can to support this relationship with the idea that it will not fail. You right. know? Right. 
That's a really good point. I wish that everyone was like that today. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just made me think of, um, I laughed when you said that, that people start relationships with the expectation that it'll fail because I remember there's this one guy I went out with one time and we both liked each other and, you know, things were starting to go better. And then when he told me that he liked me in the same conversation, he said, but if it doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? Didn't you just tell me that you like me? Why are you talking about it ending? I don't... <laughs> I was like, pause, <laughs> rewind, slow down. Let's just be excited that we like each other. But I know. We, we, we throw in all these hypotheticals yeah. all the time. And isn't this why this scene is so charming? Because there is no hypotheticals here. Right. You right. know? And at the same time, in their inner monologue... There's all the hypotheticals. So they're thinking them to themselves, but they're not outwardly showing it. They're just being who they are, which is so refreshing. Yeah. I love the the next part where he's taking her cloak off by the fire. Mm -hmm. um, they have this really... It's, it's, it's cool because you see this progression of different types of activities that they are doing together. They're feeding... They're eating dinner together. They're feeding birds. They have a playful snowball fight. And then they come in and they have this quiet, more um, settled and intimate sit down by the fire with the book between them. And I think this is one of the reasons why myself and many other people love their specific love story so much is because we see them falling in love through doing everyday activities together. And seeing them the way they treat each other through these everyday activities that they're sharing, that is what builds the relationship. And that is, I think, most often how good, real, solid relationships in real life occur and develop, right? Oh, absolutely. I concur. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <sighs> They're so cute. I really want to speculate on what book they're reading. I am convinced, once again, that he can read at least a little bit because he takes half the book. Like, they're both holding it. Yeah, of course. I He's mean, a prince. You think he wasn't yeah. educated at age 10? He definitely had a tutor. Well, the, There's a debate about this, The Lauren. part that makes it hard <laughs> is because, I mean, right after this, this is the the extended edition Beauty and the Beast that we're, we're doing, and it has human again put back in. And in that scene, she's teaching him how to read because he can't read the word two. I just think that's so silly. Why did they put that in there? He can't read in the Broadway version either, which I always thought was stupid, but... Which technically, I guess, would be like, well, maybe he just can't read in French, and we're supposed to <laughs> pretend <laughs> or maybe he can't read in english because he is french Ooh, Ooh there we go right? there we That's go it. because it. the book that they're reading in human again we're going to see in a few minutes is romeo and juliet oh so that totally makes sense if He's they're reading an how english to novel read in english Oh, yes. we have solved the conundrum. What a shame that that's the book. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's a depressing I mean, one, okay. right? <laughs> I, I love Shakespeare, but I think that Romeo and Juliet is one of the most overrated plays of all time. <laughs> Well, it's like, just I, so depressing. Ones, like, why? I mean, why not Merchant of Venice or Merchant of Venice is awesome. King Lear. I mean, right? Yeah, that one's one of my favorites. 
or Hamlet. Or, yeah. Mm, yeah. Hamlet. That one's a lot more depressing, but like... Hamlet, yeah. I don't know. Romeo and Juliet. It's just a... Yeah. Hmm. Well, and it's funny because they, like... If you put that romance in perspective with the romance that they have budding, I mean, that's kind of depressing. <laughs> it does fit, though, and follow. Because remember that part? I always, I never understood this until I read Julius Caesar, Et tu Brute, in Aladdin. Do you know what I'm Wait, talking what? about? When do they okay. say that in Aladdin? Okay, he's, uh, he's, uh, it's genie is conjuring up the spell i guess you could call it to make aladdin a prince mm -hmm. and he says something like chicken ala king or something like that <laughs> robin williams they're out in the uh -huh. yeah. in the desert just outside of the like on the city's outskirts yeah and he said he says oh et tu brute and because <laughs> there's uh, a knife yeah, that yeah. pops up so i wonder if um <laughs> Perhaps the uh, writers were all in love with Shakespeare. I mean, that's it's every possible. writer, I think. <laughs> yeah. Plus, they were writing Aladdin at the same time, so it could have been fresh on their mind. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. I was kind of surprised when I was looking up the uh, uh, information on on Howard Ashman and and Alan Menken that they were, you know, these these were kind of happening at the same time. I was like, man, that that's a lot of work. Yeah. Two awesome movies with so many great songs, and they were doing them at the same time. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot, but I guess they were they were on a uh, a little bit of a time crunch. Mm -hmm. And Disney, I, didn't they, they, this movie didn't have music originally, I don't think. So they were kind of hired after everything had been created. What? No, not the well, animation, I mean, like just the idea and the story. Oh. Well, it's, it's kind of confusing because they, they were like three different times yeah. that Disney tried to make this movie. Right. But they, they were pretty spaced out though. Yeah. Before they hadn't had any music. So this was like, right. okay, let's actually try to get this this idea going and after the success of little mermaid i figured they i guess they figured that that the stars had aligned mm -hmm. which so. they had yeah <laughs> seriously well we end the we end our minute here back in this hearth room i don't know i think janae is this the same room with the with the wingback chair but minus mm, the wingback chair i thought that this was the library it's not the library because it has the like the fireplace unless all their fireplaces are are very similar it's got like the two hearts and the shields and the sword with the shield and the yeah I the thought, crest of sax anything i thought they had that in the library there was some of it in the library but this definitely isn't the library because the library was huge and this room is not huge like if you go to the very end of this minute you get like a wide view and the room's got the wainscoting and, and wallpaper and oh um, well it must be the it must be that first one then yeah hmm. so this is this is like beast's happy room i guess because this is where he had his, his chair <laughs> <laughs> i think it would be it would make sense if this was the same room because this is where she helped nurse him back yes yes yeah, yeah. this is their cozy evening room this is a spot where they let go of their preconceived notions about each other yeah let down their guard it's also the 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 spot where beasts like attacked her dad and dragged him off to the dungeon <laughs> <laughs> good. good this is a special yes. room i love it good <laughs> yes mm-hmm <laughs> Okay, well, does anyone have anything else to talk about about this minute? 
I think we've covered it all. We did pretty well. Yeah. Okay. Lauren, are you able to pick a, a favorite song from this movie? Favorite song? Ooh. Oh, man. That's so tough. I really love <laughs> I really love Belle. Oh, at the beginning of the movie? Yeah, I love the villagers. Bonjour. I think yeah, and Gaston. That's a fun song. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a guy! Oh man, that's just a—it's a fun. I love when he's eating those eggs and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I attach. I, but the hard thing is that I can't musically. I can't detach any of the songs from the at light the action that's going on in the film. So I. I guess I choose my favorite song based on like my favorite parts of the character. And I think that that, I think learn the beginning is what I've related to the most because Belle is talking about reading and she has that brief little conversation with the book. What would you call him? Bookseller? Bookseller. Bookseller? Yeah. Yeah. So she has that brief conversation with him in the middle of this song. So the song essentially is still continuing yeah. And I think that's so cool. I think that is mm-hmm. um something that I really enjoy about musicals is that, you know, people just burst into song for apparently no reason. <laughs> and it's so wonderful that you're no- you're able to enjoy a little bit of back and forth in that in that song. Technically, I guess it would be would it be the reprise then when it comes back in? Or would it just be, maybe the reprise doesn't technically start until after Gaston talks to her. I'm not really sure. I haven't listened to Oh, you're definitely asking the wrong people. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, which reprise? Reprise of what? Of Belle. Wait, there's a reprise of that? Yeah, I think they call it that. I I haven't looked at the soundtrack in a long time. But Mm. I'm pretty sure that it's Belle and then Belle reprise. So I think they call it, like, it's... It's another, it's a second Oh, number. the bell reprise is, uh, is he gone? Can you imagine? He asked me to marry him. It's where she sings her I want song. Ah, yes, that's it. That's it. Because I couldn't remember if it was after Gaston or before. Definitely before. Yeah. Yeah, I love that song. It's so I good. I love the reprise. Yes, so good. Mm. It's amazing. I mean, that whole, that whole beginning, what is that? The beginning 20 minutes of the film almost? No, it's it like be the that first much. like seven minutes. <laughs> I don't know. It feels longer than it, that actually is then, I guess. I know. It felt like we did so many minutes of that first of the bell song. Like the first, what, four minutes were all that song. Yeah, oh, but it's so good. I know. It is so good. So good. Oh, man. I bet you can't go wrong with Angela Lansbury. I mean... I know, right? Mm. Oh, she's the grandmother. I wish... I, I wish I... If I was able to pick a third grandmother, I would choose her. <laughs> be my third grandmother. Uh. <laughs> yeah, she's just... She's awesome. Yeah, it's interesting. I just looked at... I looked it up to just double check myself it's bell and then bell reprise so yeah. they go they go one right after the other which i think is really interesting but yeah that so i wonder in the score they probably just have it probably just continues right on you know this is something that we didn't have at our music library but i think it would be interesting to whenever i i would look at music from a show like beauty and the beast it would just be the vocal selections essentially Mm -hmm. i don't think we had a beauty and the beast score where you could look at all the entire orchestration i wonder if overwhelming 
I, well, I think it's it's mainly because it would be, I don't know, like digitally today, there's a lot of stuff that isn't done live. So I wonder mm-hmm. if that, and I don't even know what the necessity of a full score would be unless you're performing the musical. And we didn't have, we didn't have that. I don't, I don't even think that musical theater actors make it a point of s- staring at an entire score. Oh no. I don't think so. I mean in in opera we absolutely do. I always study off of the full score as well as my like the vocal with the piano reduction. But No um, musical I've, theater no no. We don't look at the whole score. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. But and then with film too, I wonder I wonder what that would look like, you know? Think about how many scores John Williams has put together. Oh gosh. And I wonder, I I bet what I'm gathering is that copyright is just much more intense at this point. So I wonder if in a hundred years, you know, maybe Beauty and the Beast will be on IMSLP, (laughs) which would be great. You could just look up whatever music you want. What is IMSLP? It's uh, an inter, it's kind of like a music library online. Uh, I think it's run through, it's a free public domain library um i think it's run by wikipedia i think i'm not entirely sure but that's where i find a lot of my free classical music um you can find there now the editions are not particularly great i obviously would go buy my own music but if i'm in a bind or i need something for a student like i'll just go to imslp.org and and uh search in the composers i mean there are there is a ton of music there so it stands for uh, international music score library project i think they i also have, have heard of that they also have a core a choral section too cool um yeah it is really cool a lot of the music out there is is music that has already i mean in the public domain yeah all the composers for the most yeah. part are not living on the planet anymore so yeah (laughs) (laughs) so gonna be older music (laughs) yeah a lot older so i'm wondering like one day will beauty and the beast be you know accessible and you know uh have to be like many years in the future i feel like oh yeah for sure probably not let it go (laughs) i yeah you're probably somebody will always be in control of disney so that's true Oh, what a, what a shame too! Because there's some really good music that could be uh, made accessible to everyone. It is accessible to everyone. You just have to pay for it. Exactly. <laughs> this is exactly. true. <laughs> you just have to pay for it. They make so uh, much money off of music. I know how Leonard has a has a thing with them. Uh, like when I I'm looking for sheet music, all of the Disney stuff. Most of the most of them are edited by Hal Leonard, and I'm just. I'm blown away by how many Disney... If you walk into, for example, if you walk into Penders, there's so much Disney music for in the vocal section. It's sad. There's almost more Disney music available in the Penders music store in, in Denton than there is in the classical genre. Wow. <laughs> Which is amazing to me. <laughs> that is pretty like, amazing. Man. They're very People popular. People love their Disney music. <laughs> exactly. They're very popular. Very popular. <laughs> As we can see with Beauty and the Beast. I mean, it's just amazing music. It's so... It's And it, it's good for every age. I mean, I wouldn't say... There's certain things where I'd be like, I wouldn't... Cons- 
I wouldn't um, encourage a student to sing it because it would be too difficult. And I don't feel that way about any of the music in Beauty and the Beast. There are some challenges to be sure, but I think that's something that is really nice because the fact that I was able to sing along to this when I was, you know, between the ages of two and four years old, that's pretty amazing. And you have mm-hmm. to you have to be writing really significant, clear, easy to mimic melodies. You know, those melodies have to be so discernible. I think it's interesting that as a film that I, I think is predominantly marketed towards children, the music is thing that makes it even more more marketable to them because this is music that they can hum along to, you know? Yep. Anyone, yeah. anyone can hum along to this music. Yep. And that's what's so amazing about what they put together for this film indeed (laughs) that's his this is the end voice this is the end oh that's good (laughs) that is a great it's a great note to end on and lauren thank you for for coming on with us and sharing your insights because yeah that you know more about music than either of us probably ever will so (laughs) we appreciate you coming on and uh enlightening us and and sharing those with us oh well i'm glad that you were able to have me this was a joy well if y'all want to get a hold of us as always you can find us on social media we are at beastly minute on facebook instagram youtube twitter you can go to growler media that's where you can get a hold of me if you'd like to do that just shoot me an email janae has a website you can contact her at um but i don't remember what it is (laughs) janae what is your website it's really difficult JanaeHyatt.com. That's what I thought, but I, I didn't want to mess it up. I couldn't remember if it was Janae Hyatt or Janae Hyatt voiceover. Uh, no, so. just JanaeHyatt.com. You can listen to my voiceover portfolio and my demo, which is a 60-second sampling of my, <laughs> of my you range. You can tell it's getting late when. <laughs> so, yes. And you can send me a message there, too, if you have any interest in my working on a project for you or just have questions about me or anything. You can get in touch with me through my website. Awesome. And be sure to also check out on YouTube, uh, Duo Hansen, who does our music for us here on this podcast. They are extremely talented, and we're grateful that they let us use their music to make our podcast more awesome. Huh? We also want to thank Megan Jurek for creating our new awesome podcast artwork. You can find her on facebook.com slash Megan the Cartoonist. Be sure to go check out everything that she does over there. If you want to get in touch with Lauren, last time she said to check with Janae. So check with Janae. (laughs) Yeah, just check with Janae. She'll give you my information. She's a super talented vocalist. She sings opera. She teaches voice. That's the thing I love to do. I love to teach. So if you want to talk to me about music or about my schooling or if you have a child that's really interested in performance, if you have any questions about who I am and what I do, just get in touch with Janae and she'll uh, hook you up with my info. Yep. Perfecto. All right. Well, with that, we will bid you adieu until next episode uh, and come back next time because we will have something new and a bit alarming (laughs) that was perfect
Wow, something is really different on a growler. I just feel like, okay, my description of what was going through his mind was not as eloquent as like, or funny as I was thinking in my head. I'm keeping your bones.